Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. I've had my fourth cup of coffee, so pretty wired. <laughs> Let's go. <How> <laughs> uh, I'm good, man. I'm excited. It's a, it's a beautiful day. I got a fresh cut. I'm drinking some coffee. I mean, it couldn't be, it couldn't be better to, uh, to record a podcast, man, so I'm, I'm ready. I was going to say, man, like your hair looks spectacular. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Shout out my, <laughs> shout out my barber. <laughs> do you remember the barber's name by yeah, any chance? Yeah, I do. His name's, his name's Eric at Whistling Dicks um, in London, Ontario. <laughs> so if you're ever there, check him out. He, he does a, a nice fresh fade. Oh, you're a better man than I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into the episode though. So today we have um, Sam Spinelli, a physiotherapist out well currently he's living in Kelowna BC um, he's also a strength and condition coach uh, he's a co-owner of citizens athletics which is an online um, strength and conditioning platform that he does um, with uh, Teddy Wilsey who was also a guest on our podcast at one time which is strength coach therapy on Instagram Sam welcome thanks for having me guys how uh, how are you doing how's your day going it's pretty fantastic. Pretty, pretty nice, relaxing Sunday. Don't know when the viewers are going to be listening to this, but Sunday out here, open up my window, beautiful sunshine, reading some research, drinking some coffee. Can't get a lot better than that. Ooh, what, uh, uh, not about the research, but about the coffee. What, uh, <laughs> what, uh, coffee are you drinking? Uh, I don't know exactly. It's this, uh, Vancouver brand. One of my clients gave it to me Ooh, Nice. It to me in a plain bag though. So I'm actually unaware of what it is. <laughs> I wonder if it's a uh, 49th parallel. That's a big one out in, uh, well, there's a couple, uh, good, uh, brands out there, but 49th parallel in, in, uh, Vancouver is like outstanding coffee. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Like I've developed a pretty good relationship with a bunch of my clients that are big coffee fans. So then, you know, like I give them a killer session and the next time they just come back and bring me a bag. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And I, I, I'd get paid in coffee. I'd take it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but what research are you reading then today? I know you're, uh, you're always reading the research, so. Yeah, today was all about do your glutes turn on or off? Basically, just like reviewing all the information literature that's available on gluteal amnesia, getting into the nitty gritty on individual differences, what's actually showing from an arthrogenic standpoint versus you know perception, and then also examining some of the stuff on outcomes and where it matters and doesn't matter. Sweet. Where will that be posted uh, when when it's finished? Uh, Are you allowed it, to divulge that? <laughs> it is somewhat secretive. I'll have to wait until uh, I'm working with Mark Sertica and uh, Tony Camella on a nice big project. So it'll be getting unleashed. Probably, I think the discussion is October, November. Sweet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Mark and Tony are both uh, great dudes putting out really good stuff. So Yeah. Sweet. Let's, uh, let's get into a little bit about you though. Why don't you give uh, our listeners a little bit of background on like who you are, some of your experiences that you've been through and kind of what led you to where you're currently at? Absolutely. So I'm a uh, originally Canadian boy growing up in central Alberta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, grew up small town, Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, oil city. 
and grew, grew up there, not super involved in sports until I hit high school. And then I actually found the weight room and fell in love. And then just everybody that I lifted with was either on the basketball team, football team, something. So then I just, after basically doing no sports before grade 10, just jumped into every single one that I could, got super involved in those. And then uh, when I was in high school, I never expected to go to university. So I started working the oil trades when I was 16 and then stayed that path for a while and decided I hated my life and fortunately decided to become a personal trainer, found this guy, Dean Somerset, who taught a uh, personal training course, got licensed, started becoming obsessed and just, I would drive an hour and a half to go and watch, G, uh, watch Dean teach people for hours on end and then just ask the guy questions all the time. And uh, one day he was just like staring at me and said, you're wasting your life in the oil trades. Like you clearly don't like it. You should do this as like a full-time job. So I went to university, got a uh, bachelor in physical education with a sports specialization from the U of A because they didn't have a kin degree at the time. And then uh, I wanted to go to physiotherapy school, had some life stuff come up that kind of directed me towards moving to the U.S., Throughout the time that I was doing my undergrad, I worked as a strength conditioning coach for the largest hockey facility in Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, every off season, we'd have about 120 to 150 athletes that would cover from WHL, European Pro, KHL, NHL, um, a bunch of guys that had won Olympic medals, all sorts of stuff like that. Primarily just focused in that area. Then also I was pretty lucky to have the off you know, Bob Sutter or someone else that would come in that were an Olympic sport athlete that trained in the area because we basically became the hub for all of that. And, uh, yeah, then moved to the U.S., chased down my DPT, uh, spent a bunch of time out in the East Coast for the first two years where I just would go to school throughout the day, spend my evenings reading, and then on the weekends go and chase down different strength conditioning facilities, go and meet different strength coaches in the area that I could find. Got to go meet guys like Tony Genocore, drive out all over the coast, go and meet really smart people. And then, uh, had a bunch of clinical rotations all across the U S Chicago and California. got to go work at Exos, which was pretty dope. Got to go be part of the NFL combine. And then, uh, then graduated and spent a year in the central Valley of California where I was pretty bored out of my mind, but got to spend a lot of time, a lot of time, uh, working in different areas of physical therapy. I was very fortunate that I fell into like this area that did have a very high need. So then because of that, tons of job opportunities there. So pretty much found myself the director of rehab at a fairly large short-term rehab facility, worked uh, a secondary job at a assisted living facility in the evenings and worked a third job on the weekends at an acute care hospital. And then also had my online business with Teddy had a second and then have my secondary online business of the strength therapist. So Whew, man. Oh, and I guess then lastly, I uh, moved back to Canada about a month and a half ago. So, <laughs> Just to top it off because, you know, you have yeah. yeah. Well, we're happy to have you back. Yeah, <laughs> represent. I'm um, curious uh, if, if I might, Dalton. Yeah, uh, go ahead. What, like, obviously you've been involved in like strength and conditioning and, you know, uh, you mentioned CrossFit earlier when we were talking. Mm -hmm. uh, but what drew you towards getting into uh be a physiotherapist yeah so basically like I was in that job at that time I had a number of different strength conditioning jobs because I've got this really bad issue of just working all the time not really having this whole like external life thing and <laughs> so I would basically spend my mornings working at a CrossFit gym from about six till eight 
go to school, do my university stuff throughout the day, go and spend my evenings working at that uh, performance facility during the summers, do the whole thing again, except for that instead of going to school, just spend all day long, basically from 6 a.m. till 8 p.m. at night, coaching all day long and absolutely loved it. However, I ran into a consistent problem that I would try and learn as much as I could about strength and conditioning, but as soon as the guy got injured, I felt completely ineffective. Had like I basically felt like I had no idea what I was doing. Felt very much like I was struggling and couldn't really pursue any more about being able to help these athletes. I'd go and shadow athletic trainers. I'd go and shadow chiros and physios and try to learn more, but then I always felt like as a strength coach, I shouldn't be teetering that line. I should really be fully educated if I'm going to cross over. And then knowing about guys like Charlie Weingroff and other ones who have this cross-specialty degree of being both strength coaches and also uh, physiotherapists, I was like, need to go get this degree, need to be a specialist, need to be able to offer the services that no one else can. So chased it down. And do you feel like having your knowledge base now helps you with being a strength coach? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like... I think each side helps the other significantly and I'm in a very unique position right now where I work and function in gyms and I spend all day around strength coaches and, and in contrast, I spent the last year where I was just functioning around uh, physios and seeing the differences on each side. There's huge advantages to being skilled in both. When I function as a physio, uh, easily you can see where a lot struggled in the actual application of a lot of exercise, being able to scale different options, being able to find enough effort, being able to know all those different kind of things that a good strength coach does. On the flip side, when I'm working in the strength setting, then seeing where a lot of coaches struggle if someone has pain, seeing where they struggle and being able to modify based off different symptoms, all those kinds of things. Like even if someone's not in pain, if they just are struggling with the movement for a certain reason, maybe we don't need to blatantly change the entire movement, but a small tweak might have a huge effect. And a lot of strength coaches don't have that knowledge set. So then I'm able to do that pretty quickly. And uh, it can have a pretty profound effect for a lot of the athletes where they feel more like they're able to stay in their environment and keep going. Yeah. No, for sure. And I know, like, I've always asked this, wanted to ask this question to, you know, someone like you or even Teddy that are like, have a lot of background in strength and conditioning. And then now in the physiotherapy world, like mm -hmm. that training versus rehab thing and like the difference between it and draw, like driving that like fine line between the two. I know you had posted on Instagram. I don't think it was that long ago um, about like your thoughts on the difference between the two. So I'd, I'd be interested to hear you maybe just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely think about this a lot, um, particularly given that I kind of rotate between roles a lot. And for most people, I think that there's just like this continuum of rehab and training where it's not this split dichotomy where you're either doing rehab or you're training. It's realistically much more that they're the exact same thing. There's just a different goal at the end of the day for each one. When someone is able to do what they want to do, they're more likely training. But if they're not able to sufficiently do the goal task, it's more likely rehab. And because I can do the same movement with both people or different people, I can have them both squat, but it's, what is the goal of the squat? Am I using the squat to build performance? Then it's probably more likely a training goal. Whereas if I'm using the squat to build up knee extensor torque to be able to help them go downstairs with less pain, it's probably more likely rehab. And I think that's much more heavily the aspect of it as well as who they're working with. I don't think it's very appropriate for most strength coaches or personal trainers to be doing rehab. 
And it's just about that point that I brought up earlier where there's all these different things that we can get into about psychosocial factors, being able to make small modifications for different reasons, um, the word usage that you have, all those kinds of things that go into play in rehab a lot more. Whereas in training, most physios are not adept to be able to do that. Like I don't really know too many physios outside of a few people like Jared uh, that know sprinting mechanics or being able to teach different Olympic lifts. That's just not realistic and it's also not within the scope of what most do. So being able to split and have those two different professions and also then having two different ways to define them of being rehab or training is fair. But at the end of the day, if we're looking at just like a face value showing someone like if you were to look in on a day of me working in the gym, there are hours where I am functioning as a coach, so to speak, and then hours where I am functioning as a uh, physio, so to speak. And most people would not probably be able to identify one or the other. Mm -hmm. That kind of brings us to our next question because uh, we were going to ask if you ever get the comment, like probably maybe more so from other physios, mm -hmm. but you know, where it's like, and just so you know, just as a full disclosure, this comment's not coming from me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, have you ever gotten that kind of comment where it's like, well, aren't you just a personal trainer? And if so, how do you kind of respond to that comment? Yeah, it's very interesting because like I've definitely had that given to me a lot, but never in person. That's the best part. <laughs> That's the thing of like, if anyone came and spent the time at a gym with me, I think it becomes very clear that I am not a standard strength coach. I'm not a standard personal trainer. And this is not to bash on any of those people, but it's about the knowledge and usage, also confidence and ability to make changes for people. Uh, the simplest things of like, you know, an athlete doing a push up, and then the connotations of why we're doing it, being able to modify it and also the, uh, the goals of it afterwards. And also being able to understand why I'm going to use certain words that I'm going to and understand the effects that those have. There's a lot that goes into being a good physio from those standpoints and it doesn't take away from a personal trainer or a strength coach, but they just don't have a need for those things either. Like sure. It's very valuable that a strength coach know not to say like, you're going to tear your shit up if you let your knees fall inwards, but realistically they don't get involved in pain or they shouldn't be getting involved in pain. And that goes a little bit off your guys' topic, but um, coming back to it, if someone says that to me, it's really about, I have evidence that supports what everything has as an outcome. If I have someone that has X condition, all of these different things that I can choose, we could say tools in my toolbox, but uh, a, good, uh, a good carpenter, a good profession of any kind gets rid of tools that are useless and chooses to keep the best tools that are available to them in their toolbox, not have a heavy toolbox. Nice. Yeah. But... A, uh, at the end of the day, it's about choosing the right implement that's going to have the best outcome. And that's not an easy thing to do at face value. And when we look at these things, whether that be manual therapy, e-stim, any of them, it's very easy to have an effect, but then it's about having a long-term effect. It's about having a compounding effect that's going to matter over time, about changing different belief systems, all these different kinds of things, and also understanding ex expectancy values it's super complicated and having a knowledge of all that kind of stuff is something that can be easily missed at face value when someone watches what, what I would generally call a good physio does. I might look like a personal trainer, totally up, but then I could probably look at someone that's doing manual therapy and say, you look like a massage therapist and that would be completely inappropriate. It just seems to be that it's easy to start pointing the finger at the person doing exercise therapy and saying that they're nothing more than a personal trainer. It seems to be 
that we're having this stronger trend going towards people using exercise a lot more. And probably a lot of people are starting to get challenged and feeling negative feelings towards this. And they're uh, hashing out against it, which is understandable, but not really fair. So um, yeah, I'm not very good at handling that. I uh, typically tend to be (laughs) a lot more mean when it comes to the uh, online world. I'm pretty nice in person, but I can definitely get a little bit heated in that kind of situation. It's a tough one because I feel like there's this weird thing and I don't know if it's like just ego because, you know, we put a lot of work into like getting the degrees, but it's this idea that we have to like differentiate ourselves so much from other professionals. And so uh, we feel like we need to make up for the, like make ourselves look super different and super unique. When I feel like if we just step back and recognize like our goals are the same, you know, and it's to like maximize the health of, mm-hmm. uh, of the population and of the communities that we kind of serve. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like it's probably good if you look like a strength coach and it's probably good if a strength coach has some qualities of a physiotherapist so that we can work Absolutely. together better, you know, and just keep people healthy. Yeah. Money. I love it. <laughs> Um, Sam, something I wanted to ask you about, um, is just kind of your philosophy around like training or coaching or in treating just kind of some of the things that you've built over the course of like your career that you use as kind of guiding frameworks for, for that, uh, those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one where if I were to go back to that whole rehab versus training thing to a degree, this, these probably, uh, is where things do shift a little bit more. And when I'm looking at rehab specifically, I'm going to be definitely taking into consideration a lot more of an activist approach. So considering, I don't know if you guys have seen like the five E's embodiment and activism, those things. Have you seen that at all? I've a little bit, not, yeah. not super. Uh, I'll send you a, uh, a thing that people can read about it. Cause it's like pretty hard to get into. I actually just did a big write up for physio network on this. So then, um, uh, you can probably have access to that and check it out. Cool. But basically when I'm functioning in a much more rehab based setting, I'm going to be looking at the person as an individual and considering a lot more things that we would usually call like psychosocial factors and things that can uh, be highly constraining to that, considering the person's fear to a higher degree. And then also trying to develop general load capacity and uh, not so much specific performance qualities. Whereas when I'm looking at maximizing training and performance, much more heavily focused on the performance aspect. I'm going to be trying to maximize performance, looking at ways to drive that as hard as aggressively as possible. And unless someone has a distinct psychosocial thing that I'm concerned with, I'm not going to really consider it as much. It's just probably not as relevant. Um, It could be there, but unless something pops up, I don't really have a need to look into it. And I don't want to start trying to find randomness and be able to mistake um, noise for signal. Nice. How um how has that kind of developed over the course of like your time as a strength coach and like a therapist? Has it changed like when you originally got in into into, yeah. into the space to like where you are now? Yeah, definitely. It's changed a lot. I would say that some ways that it's changed are that um, with my growing knowledge on how humans are very adaptable and taking on more of like a movement optimist approach definitely shifted away from being as focused on biomechanics, uh, even in the performance side of things. And 
you know, previously I would have said like an athlete needs to be able to move in this specific manner and that, you know, this is going to be the ideal way for them to be able to have X performance. Whereas instead now I'm taking on, you know, this individual probably has chosen this movement selection option for a specific reason. I might want to try to change that. And I probably use some sort of constraints led approach to be able to guide and see if that actually takes an effect. But if this person is having excellent performance using their unique strategy, I don't necessarily want to change that. There's a lot of great examples of like high level runners who have, you know, what most people would close their eyes at for running form and they just crush it. They're absolutely demolishing him. Same thing with like Usain Bolt. He does not have classical great running form. He has high amounts of knee valgus when he runs. He has an um, asymmetrical step length, all these kinds of things that a lot of people would probably try to correct, but the dude's killing it obviously. And, uh, trying to change that is probably not an ideal situation for him long-term wise. And that's definitely been a huge thing that's changed across the time that I've been a physio where I've shifted away from thinking that I like, I need to get people in a correct position for all these different things. Whereas it's like, I try to change the constraints to guide them in a certain way. And if they're successful, then I'm cool with it. Usually. Obviously, like if someone is performing a certain movement that I know has this inherent risk, like going into deep lumbar flexion during a heavy deadlift, I'm going to likely pull them back. And that's, that is again, where that physio strength coach line might meet because some strength coaches might allow it. Whereas I would say probably very few physios would allow that. And flipping to the opposite side of the spectrum, there's been some times where, you know, uh, as a strength coach, there's things that have guided me to choose different options as a physio, whereas I might consider different movements, different things that are often ignored in the physio side of things to try to help someone more as a, or help them more as a physio from my strength coach knowledge. So, uh, I was thinking about like what you're talking about with movement optimism and stuff and you know, what kind of your language might be, uh, in comparison to what it used to be. So I was thinking, you know, let's say, Dalton comes in, you're getting him to squat, right? Dalton's just got, uh, you know, terrible knee valgus. And uh-huh. uh, when he's going into this knee valgus, he's getting a little medial uh, knee pain. Uh-huh. So, Sam, what I'd like to hear is maybe how you may have approached this before versus how you would go about kind of approaching this now. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say before I would definitely be, if this was, you know, four or five years ago, I'd, I'd take that person. I'd be like, Hey, the way you're squatting is causing knee pain. You've got some damage probably occurring. So let's just like shift you over in this other position, drive those knees out more fixed. Whereas now it's going to be, all right, you got some pain with that position. Okay. Let's just try and push the knees over here and see how that helps things. I try to make it as simple as possible. Like the less things I say, actually, the more I prefer. If this was a year or two ago, I may have said a little bit more of like, hey, maybe you're a little bit sensitive to this. Maybe X, Y, and Z is going on. I wouldn't have gone to the point of saying that you're having damage or anything like that. But I probably would have tried to have like a slightly different narrative. Whereas now I've found that I really don't need to say a lot unless the person asks. And most people are just cool with it. They just go along. They're like, oh, cool, simple. And uh, it just works really well. Yeah. What's like the key difference there? Do you think? Uh, before I would have used like a very heavy, almost fear inducing model of cueing. If someone had pain, it was obviously that someone was getting damaged and that's something needed to change to stop that damage. Whereas now it's just like, 
in my mind, it's okay, you're sensitive to X position. Let's change out of that position, see if that feels better. If not, let's keep changing things and seeing how it feels and going down this category of things that I prioritize. And then when we get to a spot where you feel good, now we're going to move on externally. I'm not, I'm saying as little as possible because I don't want to like guide someone to have a belief and that may lead to me not addressing a belief. But the moment someone says, Oh, I don't want to hurt myself or something like that. Then I'll step in and start to provide more feedback. But the person might have no idea why I want them to change. They may have little to no input on it. And it's just like a casual thing where I had that arise all the time where someone is doing some sort of movement, doesn't feel great. I just adjust something and we carry on. It doesn't have to be this like whole elaborate discussion that it goes on. So, yeah, I think that's a good point to make. Cause I, I find myself even getting caught up in that sometimes is just over like over explaining or giving explanations as to why, when maybe they don't, you don't even really need, need to do that if they're not totally concerned with it. Um, I guess in my mind, I think when I'm doing it, it's like, it's helping them when realistically it might not, it might, it, it, it might just make them th- overthink things or think more. Um, or they might not even be listening or caring what I have to say, but, um, <laughs> I think it is, no, I, I, I think it's a good point to make that the less is more. And then if they make comments off of that, then that you feel like, okay, I need to step in and maybe mm-hmm. educate to shift like their mindset around why they're doing what they're doing. Then you mm-hmm. can have an input there. Yeah. And it's really more about like, at least from my side, reading the person, figuring out what they desire. It's pretty quick to be able to find out when that person is someone that wants to like hear every little detail and they're going to keep asking about us. And I just like start off the conversation, telling them a bunch of stuff in contrast to like a lot of people where it's just like, I say one or two things and they're good to go to carry on. And, uh, like from experience working around a lot of new physios or a lot of new strength coaches and watching them learn over time, a lot do start off really early being very vocal and a lot and saying way more than is necessary. And in a lot of cases, it's just like, you don't know the shortest amount of cues to say, you don't know the shortest things that are necessary. And you can honestly find people to be quite successful in a lot of ways with like pretty minimal word usage. Mm-hmm. You find you've come more accepting of like, uh, these like, you know, minute, maybe variations in sort of like movement mechanics and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, if I'm working with someone, uh, or if I was working with someone five years ago and they had what we'd maybe call a butt wink, I would have definitely been trying to figure out how to address that and how to work on that. Whereas now it's like, if someone doesn't complain about an issue or is not being vocal that they're concerned about it, I'm going to let DB and uh, I might change things because I'm just playing around with it anyways to see if it improves, but I won't tell them necessarily why I might change stance with toe out angle, some of those kinds of things. And if that just like inherently makes it better, awesome. But yeah, I'm not going to be like, Hey, you're butt winking. We need to fix this. Whereas in the past, I probably would have said something like that. Sam butt winks bad. Yeah. That's what they tell me. (laughs) Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this whole idea of like a bad exercise and like in your opinion, like (laughs) in your opinion, I'm just like wondering why do you think this is still exists or why do we tend to latch on maybe to this idea of like how, like this is bad and you shouldn't, it shouldn't be done that like that way because of X, Y, and Z. I think it's a, a pretty challenging one overall because number one, I think that we have this like societal expectation that, there are things that are just bad to do 
and it's pretty easy to see that change across different societies. Like if you go to Asia and you watch someone uh, bend forward and do like a stoop lift, most don't think that that's a dangerous thing. But if you were to show that to a person in North America, they probably think that's a dangerous movement. So there's like this inherent societal belief system that we've built here versus over there, they probably have the same sort of belief system on different movements. And then you compound that. Most people really heavily latch on to like a post hoc reasoning where they do something, they get pain. And then it's like, well, that's the reason for my pain. Yeah. I bent over, I went forward and that caused my pain. So now I infer that bending forward causes pain. That's a bad thing. Don't ever bend forward again. And when you combine that with that people have societal expectations on certain movements, it just compounds and makes a much more strong force that people are going to latch onto. That's why like you really don't see a lot of people talking about shoulder external rotation causing pain, even though it's just as likely to cause pain on the shoulder than internal rotation, just not like there's different mechanisms that can be made about it. But a lot of people have been told that like this internally rotated position is bad or that stoop lifting is bad. If you look at the evidence on that, it shows up that, you know, stoop lift is just as dangerous as other kinds of lifting. And, but how many people want to listen and read about research or consider multiple context situations and get into this like nitty gritty thought process on it. That's not the standard. So, which is understandable. Like if you're an average citizen in Canada or the U S like, are you really going to sit down and read research on it? Or are you just going to listen to what some person told you? Right. Yeah. I think a good point that you made is this like that understanding of pain and that like, just because you move one way doesn't mean that's what's causing like your the damage. Right. Like, I think that's a big thing. Um, and you're right. I don't think the average person is obviously not well read or not considering those things. But I think as a profession, like both as a strength coach and like a physio, like in the physiotherapy profession is we need to be more on point with like the understanding and communicating those Mm -hmm. things to, to the people that are coming to see us because if they're coming to see us and we're just reinforcing that shitty thought process, like, you know, it's never gonna, it's never gonna change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important for people like you to provide some, you know, nuance into the equation. Um, especially when you have people with a large voice on a big platform, uh, who, who maybe forget to add some of that, (laughs) you know? And so having someone like you to go on and provide a different perspective, uh, hopefully can start to challenge some of those potentially harmful ideas. Yeah, it's definitely pretty, pretty, uh, frustrating at times because I try to be, uh, promoting this more nuanced approach and it is definitely not as flashy and as sexy and uh, sometimes they don't do very well and it can be very frustrating after spending like 12 hours working on something and it gets abysmal number of uh, appreciation <laughs> yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about like the online space I know you you know you've been posting on Instagram which seems like for like a long time now with like the strength therapist and you, your online website and then kind of what you just got into with like Teddy how uh, how have you seen like the online space as a, a valuable avenue for you yourself and like other people in like the profession it can be really rewarding and can be really beneficial for a lot of people, but it can also be very frustrating because, you know, a lot of the things that the three of us might say are uh, incorrect beliefs, not full justified, all those kinds of things are probably the things that get the most likes and get the most appreciation online. And it's because a lot of that stuff is fear-based and it sells. 
Mm. Whereas like this movement optimism and context dependent kind of discussion is uh, requiring more critical reasoning in a lot of situations. And a lot of people just aren't down with that. And sometimes I get super frustrated and super irritated and uh, regularly consider quitting uh, creating content because it pisses me off so much. But then I get the, I'm, I'm very fortunate now that I have like a quite large followership. So this happens a lot more often uh, where I get someone that messages me and tells me about like how much they benefited from something I made. Whereas like at this point, it's like a pretty daily occurrence to where I get one to a few messages of something that I just posted recently. And the person's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was like, okay, or that I could do this or that this explains why I'm experiencing this issue. And sometimes I like don't love the line of reasoning that the person took, but at least it's beneficial for them. But then sometimes people like really read the um, write up that I put underneath where on you know, the video, I might not get into as much detail because I'm just trying to make sure that I don't lose a lot of people. Whereas in the write up, I try to go like a little bit more in depth on things. And when people start to actually appreciate that and like respond to that part of what I write, then I'm pretty grateful for what I do. And it at least pushes me on a couple more days. <laughs> yeah. Keeps you from hitting that delete button on your Instagram yeah. account for a couple more days. I think you have to trust too that it's like a domino effect, you know, like that one person, uh, say it's a uh, physiotherapy student or, mm-hmm. um, or like a up and coming strength coach or something like that. And they're being exposed to these ideas. And I'm pretty confident that that could lead to, you know, Absolutely. who knows how many people being impacted. Right. Yeah. That part is like pretty cool. And that I've had, like, I, I just recently had a, uh, a person reached out to me and said that they were, uh, that they showed their physio, my videos. And then it actually ended up being one of my old classmates that I lived with. And uh, that's no way. Yeah. Wow. They're like, Oh yeah, that's my friend Sam. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, like, uh, yeah. Like that isn't a part that I guess I am more hopeful for is that if I can reach a lot more clinicians, it can have that domino effect of where, you know, they're going to be helping all their patients and hopefully they can have a better context to which they're speaking with. Yeah, for sure. Um, the citizens, um, athletics that you're doing with Teddy, I want, I want to talk a little bit about that. Cause I, uh, I really like what you guys are doing and I think it's like really good quality stuff. And I, what I really appreciate about the most, it's, it's like very, a very simple approach, I guess, in the terms mm-hmm. of how it's presented. I know you guys obviously probably do a lot of work into how you're structuring it and stuff like that, which makes it more challenging. But I think the mm-hmm. simplicity of it is very appealing um, to the general masses. So like, I just kind of want to hear like how you guys got together. What was like the, the reasoning behind wanting to, to hop on the online platform with, uh, with um, the programming? Yeah. 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 I first got into online training probably. Hmm probably like seven, eight years ago, I was uh, living back in Edmonton and I would have clients that would come and train with me for months to years on end. And then they would move and then they just wanted me to keep programming for them. And at first it was like, I would either do it for free or I'd charge them like a pretty minimal fee and just send them a program. They'd occasionally like, this is back before we had regular abilities to send videos. Maybe they'd send me this like really sketchy looking video or something. And I'd try to figure out what the hell's going on. (laughs) But that's how it started. And then over time, when I moved away from Edmonton and I was living in the U S I had tons of people that I had just left and lots of people that I was coaching for like national powerlifting championships, all sorts of different cha- like high level events and they wanted to keep going. And so then 
I just like started working a lot more on that all through PT school. And then I met Teddy through clinical athlete, which I, you guys have had Quinn on here before. No, we're trying, we're trying to get Quinn on. He's a busy guy. He is a busy guy. <laughs> if, if you talk to him, slide her name in there. <laughs> I, I talk to Quinn pretty regularly. All so right. I can definitely do that. But yeah, I, uh, I joined clinical athlete like the first month it was launched because I had followed Quinn and I was just starting PT school. And then Teddy was on there around the same time. And we just like talked back and forth. And then when we both started uh, our Instagram accounts, we just obviously found a pretty strong trend between one another. And then we had talked back and forth about just like general stuff, nothing specific to online training. And then I was out in San Diego for a clinical rotation, hanging out at Brett Contreras' gym a lot. I uh, would go out there on a pretty regular basis. And then Teddy was coming to town and he asked to hang out. So we actually like met at Brett's gym. And uh, if anyone ever meets Brett, you'll quickly know that he is not great with timing and pretty, <laughs> pretty rough <laughs> with his own schedule. So he had said like, Hey, let's meet at whatever time. And we're going to train and hang out afterwards. So then Teddy and I both show up the gym like 20 minutes early and he comes over. He's like, okay, so I forgot that I actually have this thing for two hours. And, uh, how about we train afterwards? <laughs> and we're like, sure, whatever. So then Teddy and I just hung out for the next two hours waiting around for Brett. And, uh, over that time we just like talked about how we each, try to do online training. We try to help as many people as possible, but we feel like we're, you know, not able to reach as many people as possible. We have a lot of people asking about like training programs for X, Y, and Z, and we're not able to fulfill those needs. And how could that possibly be done? And, uh, at one point I was like, man, you ever want to do something? Let me know. And that was like the end of the conversation. And then like a week or two goes by and Teddy calls me and all he says is let's do it. And, uh, that was probably, I think that was in January of 2017. So then the next like eight months, all we did was just plan out programming. We spent probably like an hour or two every week on the phone. And then another couple of hours, just like planning out a six month progression that we were like, this would be like the dream situation if someone spent their time working through this. And then, you know, found a software to allow us to put that in and started advertising it and it did pretty good. But then at, over time we started to see like issues would arise through like the online platform of it. And then we we're like, okay, well, how can we improve this? And I think that's something that I really appreciate with Teddy is that he is always wanting to make it better. And that's something that I always want. That's something that we've always like agreed upon. Obviously there's the similarities that we have of being physios and being strength coaches and those kind of backgrounds, but also the desire to deliver the best product possible so that people have the best benefit. And like him and I are both willing to sit down and answer questions for people that send us things through our messaging platform and try to make changes within the program to the best abilities that we can to make them have the most benefit possible. And then we take track of what those requests are. And we try to think about how we could make that more feasible for the person so they don't even need to ask us next time. And that's where like in the software, we have these different things that are like called client resources where it's like, how can I modify this movement because of X, Y, and Z? And then we've built out like a list of different options for the person to try and do that. And then the person has a need for X, Y, and Z. And we try to provide all these different resources so that the person's going to be more successful and not even need to wait for us to respond. It's nice. so, like, I have no problem responding to someone, but if I can make it so that they can just like be successful right off the bat or whatever may be possible, then let's do that. And then also 
in the programming, we've tried to continually update it and we're going to be doing a lot more than the coming months with like basically planning to restart things in a way in that we've seen that there are ways that we could have chosen certain movements slightly differently to just have people be more successful through a non in-person coached format. And it would make no real difference for the results. And so then we want to try to keep picking selections like that to then allow so that the person is going to inherently be more successful in that online format. Yeah. So who can benefit from it and who, uh, how can they kind of like, uh, get to, to citizen citizen athletics uh well we've got a website which is definitely the easiest way to sign up and register we've got like a free week trial that people can do too to test their and decide if they like it or not and then we have a, our own custom app that people can use the only problem with our app is that you can't actually purchase your program through it for those that are unaware apple takes like a huge cut of your product of your uh income if you do that it's like 30 percent. so unfortunately yeah. we are unable to uh, do that through the app. But yeah, so people can go sign up through the website, use the app, they can do free trial week. But in essence, I would say that most people that are not looking for either direct rehab or a specific training-based goal, it's a great program for them. So like if you have the goal of maximal powerlifting performance, it's probably not the right program for you. You'd probably benefit from having a powerlifting based program. We definitely use the squat bench deadlifts and their variations, but at the end of the day, like we're not designing this for powerlifters. So we didn't design it for people with a powerlifting goal. We designed it for like people that are generally looking to be fit, generally wanting to be proficient in squat bench deadlifts and all these other kinds of movements. And we add in other things like windmill variations and build it out over progressions over time, Turkish get up variations, all these different kinds of things that are, maybe not uh, specific to what most people would do in the gym, but have a lot of benefit and offer some uniqueness to it. And then we try to always make things extra interesting by throwing in some unique training methods that a lot of people maybe haven't done in the past, where they'd be like supersets, clusters, circuits, um, time-based training, drop sets, something just to like make the occasional uh, workout unique and fun for them. Because like at the end of the day, we want people to be consistent and enjoy what the fuck they're doing. And it's pretty easy for people to get really bored with the same thing over and over again. Even just like, I want people to squat on a very regular basis. And if I got you squatting and you do it from a different format of like clusters or doing it in a complex format, you might like it a little bit more and it might reinvigorate you to keep going for the next few months on squatting. So we've tried to consider a lot of different formats like that. Yeah, no, it sounds cool. awesome. The biggest question, though, is uh, who's stronger, you or Teddy? <laughs> oh man, that's that's pretty easy. Teddy's Teddy's way stronger than me. <laughs> man. So we we had the opportunity to meet Teddy in person at the uh, uh-huh. uh, Prehab One Hundred and One course in Toronto, yeah. and like that guy is giant. I never realized like you don't you don't on Instagram he does not look as big as he does in person. Uh, he's, he's a thick dude, person, man. I'm like, man, he is thick, bro. Yeah, uh, I've met I've met a ton of people that are like well known in strength conditioning and rehab, and it's. I feel bad saying this, but a lot of times I'm disappointed by their size and stature. (laughs) You see pictures of them and you inherently believe that they're going to be like roughly your size. But I've come to learn that I'm a bit of a giant. (laughs) You know, when I meet someone that's like five, five and 160 pounds, they're (laughs) not expected. Whereas like Teddy is six foot one, I think. And like 220 
230 pounds. So pretty thick dude. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah. And just got, a, like, I don't know what ahead. his deadlift is right now, but I know he's pulled around 600 pounds before. So he's pretty strong. Yeah, he's a beast. <laughs> just, yeah. to, uh, just to like round out the conversation, Sam, one thing that I've noticed like over the course of this conversation it, um, is just how much networking you do and how many opportunities you've created for yourself by the sounds of it through like mentorships and just giving free time and seeking out other people. And some of the names that you're throwing around like our big time people in, in the space. So I think we have a lot of like, we have a lot of students and we have, you know, some new grads and people that are listening that might want to be putting themselves out there. How do you go about doing that? And what would be like your advice to them if they're trying to go and do um, some mentorship? I think like if your legitimate goal is mentorship or learning from someone, getting off a traditional social media platform is going to be beneficial like if you want to go and meet someone or talk to someone something like that email is i think a little bit more intimate and a little bit more preferred like some i get tons of messages from students on instagram and uh some are about coming to meet me some are about coming to follow me i've had people do that when i was back in california before and they would message me like if they're driving through where i was living if they could come have a coffee something like that and i don't have a bother with it but i know a ton of people that do and it is definitely uh a little bit nicer when I get emails because especially like recently, just this last week, I've had like three people email me about coming to shadow me for a day and they are able to provide a little bit more context about what they're looking for, those kinds of things. Like I appreciate that. And I think that that's, that's what I did because, you know, I did most of this before Instagram was a thing anyways. So then I was emailing people trying to reach out in whatever way I could. And if someone didn't respond by email, maybe I would go to another step if it was um, something that I could make happen. But usually people are pretty responsive with emails, at least in the past they were. And most people, if you're able to find a way that it doesn't directly take away from them a lot, they are very accommodating. Like if you want to take someone away from um, having free time, they may be somewhat resistant. But if you're going to make yourself fit into their daily schedule, like go and shadow them while they're working, it's pretty rare that I've ever seen someone say no to that. And at least in my experience, once they get to meet you once and then you want to have a coffee with them, they're definitely way more open to it. And that's where I've been very fortunate. I think is like I try to offer to help people or to just like come and be out of the way and meet them at first and then build that relationship further. Like Dean, I went and paid for a course to go and watch him. And then I asked to just shadow him and eventually gets to this point where now we're friends and I can go and have dinner with him. You look at a guy like Tony Genocore. I met him through Dean. I paid for a course to watch him. I then went to school in uh, Boston area and I would just go and shadow him work. And now I'm able to go and see him for private interactions. And then, you know, I was living in San Diego and I reached out to Brett Contreras and like I'd known him briefly online, but nothing like strong and formatted. And then I knew that he was trying to build a gym and I was like, Hey, I will come and do manual labor for you. I will uh, help build your gym in whatever way you need. And he was like, okay. So then I went and did that. And then it was like, Hey, let's hang out all the time. And <laughs> it's about like putting yourself out there. And definitely I will not lie. There have been people that have said no to me in the past. There are tons of people out there in the industry that have not responded to me. A lot of people that I do not have a relationship with for a wide range of reasons, but the people that I do are fantastic human beings and people that I really appreciate. So sometimes it's hard to put yourself out there and have no said to you, but uh, for the ones that do say yes, it's definitely worth it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think it's kind of expected that you're probably going to get hit with a couple no's and you just got to move on and, you know, continue to seek out those people that are willing to give you some time. I like what you said about adding value, though. I think that's important, trying to find ways that you can add value to, to the person that you're seeking out and not taking time away from them is a big thing um, that me and Will have even realized as we've done kind of similar things in the past with mm-hmm. like trying to do mentoring, getting some mentoring or just going and shadowing and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a big point. Yeah. I think also like you guys probably have done this um, or like uh, had this done to you and then followed up on it. Cause you seem like good people, but um, <laughs> something I've noticed is like when someone provides me with information, I follow up and try to apply it or use it and then demonstrate that to the person. Cause then it like makes them feel like whatever they're doing for me isn't a waste mm-hmm. on my part. I've had, I know probably a couple hundred people at this point come and shadow me in different formats, whether it be strength coach or physio. And lots of times they'll ask me questions or ask for things that they should go read, et cetera. And then I see them later and learn that they did not do any of that. It's like pretty irritating. And at that point I've like somewhat checked out on wanting to help them as much. Cause like basically they're wasting my time mm-hmm. on my part. If like anyone told me I should go read X like to this day, I have lots of friends that send me papers that they think I should read. I work really hard to read every single one of those just because like they send it to me and they clearly think it's important for me. And if anyone were to tell me that, I'm going to try to do my best to do that. Yeah, no, it's great. I think that comes down to like, if you're going to like shadow, go to actually learn and take something away, not just to like check it off, you know, like that. You're- yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a great point too. And like, I just started this new gym and right before I got there, they actually fired an intern. And one of the comments was, you know, he was there for a week. And during that week, they, they gave him a notebook on day one. And they said, you know, write down whatever questions you have. And we'll go through them at the end of the day. And they said that like for the first three days, he wrote no notes down. And at the end of the day, they asked him, please make sure you write down any questions you have. <laughs> And on day four, they were like really pushing, make sure you do this. And he still didn't do it. And they were like, so you know everything then? And he's like, well, no, but I just don't have any questions. It's like, if you, then what are you learning from this? Like if you yeah. have no questions, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing here? And I took a notebook with me every time I went and shadowed somebody and I had questions. And in some cases they had no time for my questions. And there were things that I could look at later. But it's like, why are you there? What are you really hoping to achieve from it? Yeah, no, that's another great point. Yeah, those are all good good things for people to think about for sure. Um, Sam, just to wrap up here, where can people find you on Instagram or all your social platforms? Yeah, the easiest one is probably Instagram at The Strength Therapist. You can also find me at Citizen Athletics One. And then uh, on Facebook, I'm Sam Spinelli. There's also The Strength Therapist. You can contact me on my email, thestrengththerapist at gmail.com. Take tons of emails. Try to respond to every single one the best degree I can. You got questions about uh, being a student, about being a practicing clinician, whatever you got, I'll try to answer. Awesome. Yeah, Sam, thanks. We really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your day to come on here. I really yeah, thanks do. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really. we really appreciate your consistency, man. I know you've been online for for quite some time and um just to see you know the continued content that you're putting out and the narratives that you're trying to push it's awesome so thank you for the all the information absolutely sweet all right well you got anything nope just uh ditto sweet all right thanks a lot man we'll talk to you soon sounds good bye